Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life. And the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, Taylor, welcome to the show, brother. Corey, thank you so much for having me today. Awesome. Looking forward to talking and just kind of really opening up some great discussion points today. But Taylor, let everybody know about who you are and kind of give us your short story. Absolutely. So I'm a multifamily and self-storage real estate investor focused primarily on the Southeast. Our strategy, like others in the business today, is focused on real estate syndication, raising passive investor capital to acquire value-add commercial real estate investments in targeted markets with experienced operators. Right. And how much capital have you guys put together? Our whole team's like a huge, enormous number. It wouldn't be, it's north of a hundred million personally. I'm in the millions. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. So we were talking earlier before we got started the show is about mistakes in multifamily, right? Particularly in raising capital, like mistakes that people have raised in raising money. Can you share with that a little bit about what you've seen other people do that they probably shouldn't do that way? Yeah, absolutely. So there are so many mistakes that you can make at multifamily investing. We're certainly not going to cover all of them today. We'll go through a few here. I think ultimately we're talking about raising investor capital. It's difficult to even call this a mistake, but we see people doing things just generally dishonest business practices, whether it's pumping up the potential returns on an investment or just trying to get investors in a deal so they can get it across the line. But Ultimately, you want your investors to be the right fit for your deal. You want your deal to be the right fit for your investors. You're only going to have more headaches on the back end if you bring the wrong people into your deal, whether it's just through good intentions, as they say, you want the right people in your deal. So that's number one. I say that's probably the biggest one. On the actual deal side, I think we're going to see this particular one pop up a lot more as 2023 goes on. but. It comes down to not having the right financing for the business plan. There were so many folks that bought real estate, especially commercial real estate, when rates were the best they've been in history throughout COVID. But as everyone listening knows, they've been going up for a bit over the last year. We've seen a pause recently and may or may not go up or down in the near future, but probably for the rest of the year, they'll remain elevated. But plenty of folks didn't build their business plan based around a potential increase in interest rates and that those chickens may come home to roost for some investors for the rest of this year or so is what folks in the industry generally expect. So having the right financing, having that aligned with your business plan and schedule, absolutely critical, especially in commercial real estate where you're not getting a 30-year loan. Your loan term is going to be significantly shorter than that. Your interest rate is going to get refreshed and the bank's going to probably stay involved the whole time anyway, right? Throughout your whole deal. Throw another one out there that I've seen people have really dived into multifamily investing. They've also gotten into brand new markets and there's nothing wrong with investing in a brand new market, but we've had such a great market generally for the last number of years that people have kind of gotten away with doing not great deals in just growing markets and kind of riding that 
hide, if you will. Yeah, then the tide is coming out, right? <laughs> That's and right. A lot of people don't have shorts on, right? So they realize, you know, oh gosh. And I think you make a great point in the second part of the financing too. And I think every operator is going through that in their existing portfolio of some way, short or form. Not for every, like some of the stuff that you had that was fixed, but even for me, we have like four bridge refis going on this year, two of them next month, and then two more in October. And we can't get out of those loans fast enough. But the only reason we're not getting them out of them now is because we have prepayment penalty, right? And so yes. the goal is to exit these. Now, the only way you can exit these types of deals truly is that you've got to have the financials to back the refi. And that's where a lot of people are getting screwed. They have ran on such thin margins. Now that it's resetting, it still doesn't make really a lot of sense. And so there's going to be a lot of blood in the street still coming or their cap rate is gone. And now the loan requirements require them to have another cap rate. And to buy that new cap rate is priced out of oblivion. That's coming shortly. A lot of them are in their cap rates, but they're starting to mature. And as that happens, there's going to be a lot more opportunity, I think, as well. Would you say that as well? I totally agree with that. Even diligent sponsors out there that are reasonably well positioned have had to pause distributions on many deals just to get ready to bank the capital so that they could buy another interest rate cap when there's eventually expires, you kind of being yep. defensive about it. So there are problems, if you will, all around, but the resourceful thing to do is to turn that on its head mentally and look for the opportunities. Obviously deal with the situation as best you can, but look for the opportunity. That's really it survived. I've heard this uh, term. I love it. Survive to 25, right? So in <laughs> all the existing stuff you have, you're like, I just need to survive. I need to make sure that I'm operating efficiently. I'm getting all my stuff in order as best I can, right? And then understanding, Taylor, the opportunity, which is this now market, right? Because the fundamentals of real estate have not changed. We are still undersupplied in most markets. And so if that's the case, everything just went on sale, right? And you sure the rates are higher now, but they won't stay long that way forever. So if you can make something pencil in today's debt, right? I think tomorrow's debt's going to give you a nice little opportunity. Absolutely. And I think stepping back, the key is to understand that the future has never been known, right? So we look back and we think about what decisions that we made in 2019. We think, oh, I could have made such a better decision on XYZ because with the benefit of hindsight, we know what happened. So sure, with perfect foresight, we could make the best decision. But I have a reason for saying this. There were people who got burned by the decrease in interest rates because they didn't understand their prepayment penalties. So that just gets to the point of if you don't understand how your financing works, how the numbers work, then you can get burned in any direction. And that just goes down to know what you're doing. Know what you're doing, understand your business plan, right? And operate with that in mind, right? So as we're talking about mistakes, because I think this is my favorite part to talk about is talking about the dirt because everybody has it and stories, right? So you had a story of managing property managers, right? And what that is like. Yeah. So there are a few things that we could talk about there. And I can tell you a story about, so the first deal that I passively invested in, I started out as a Wall Street investor, like many of your listeners might be investing in stocks and bonds, but 
got frustrated with that and heard about this great thing, real estate, and wanted to get started. I started as a passive investor. First investment that I made was in some apartment complexes in Atlanta, Georgia, just outside of downtown Atlanta. And I've had this conversation with the relevant operator on my podcast. So I'm not airing any dirty laundry here that's not out, (laughs) but I will be vague with some details. Basically, the property manager was kind of in a quasi third party situation. They weren't owned by the main operating general partner and they weren't a full third party. The owner of the property management company had general partner shares as part of his compensation or his incentive to perform in the deal, which in theory, as long as everyone is a good actor, and that is a big caveat, that can work out great. Again, in theory, what happened in practice is that the gentleman who ran the property management company essentially concluded that he couldn't be fired and he could be paid in whatever way that he wanted. So long story short, took money more than he was entitled to essentially. So essentially, in my opinion, stole some funds from us that led to a protracted multi-year legal battle arbitration. And this guy actually died in unfortunate circumstances through his own actions throughout that legal battle. And it was just a whole mess. And we still made money on the deal when we got out, not as much as we expected. But really the lesson there is that you need to be able to fire your property managers. If they're going to be a third party, you need to be able to get rid of them. If you are in a situation where say you're passively investing in a deal or you're an operator that owns your property management company, then I think that's great. You know, We've done many of those deals. If you have an individual that's misbehaving, then you can fire them in that situation. But when they own general partnership shares, it just turns into lawsuits and arbitrations and everything. Totally agree. It's never equally yoked. Now, there's a difference between being vertically integrated. So that's something that whole different deal. But third party's third party. We just this year went vertically integrated for our portfolio. And then we'll probably say it's the best thing since sliced bread, even though I said I would never do it. I said I would never, (laughs) never, never do it. And here I am eating crow because I did it. And I'm thinking it might be the best move I made in 2023, right? Because I needed to tighten the belt and I needed to make sure and ensure that our properties are running efficiently. And most third parties, they're all fee-based. And when you're fee-based, there's not always as much yoke, even though we hold them accountable through asset management. But there's always that and there's like the things that no one ever sees like, oh, they're not going to see this $300, whatever, right? And you get that all the time, par for the course. But also here's the other part is people will steal from you, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've got a wonderful story of, I think, catching someone stealing. Well, that was that. That was that story. That's okay. the one where he oh, was that caught. Was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I've seen that same or very similar situation happen to other operators in the business who, instead of general partnership shares, gave the property manager limited partner shares to, again, give them an incentive to perform in the deal, which again, as long as everybody is a good actor, then that's not a bad idea, right? That's a very sound idea. But when you have bad actors, then that just muddies the waters so much. And you don't hear about the good actor situations, but- I don't want to air anybody else's you know, stories or anything, but I've just seen it happen to so many folks where just that, that kind of quasi third party blows up and having that vertical integration, I think is a great idea. It's very well proven out, helps with asset management, helps the little things not get swept under the rug so much. And yeah. you're right. When you hire a third party property manager, no matter how great they are, and they can all be very great, 
there might be a little thing in their mind where I could just go find another client if this doesn't work out, which right. take that as you will, but there's an advantage to having that vertical integration for sure. No, I agree as well. So I was thinking about, I've got so many stories where we've caught just the property managers themselves, right? Stealing, right? So theft is a big deal and you try to limit it as much as you can, but I'm like, we don't take money orders. You've got to go onto our portal to pay, but occasionally you do take a money order, right? And we caught a girl eight months pregnant and we come in and we're like, what's up with this money order? And she's like, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? And then she goes and she starts, she finds it in a system and she didn't realize that when you put it in, it scans it correctly. And then she comes <laughs> with another and she's made different, like, always oh, signed over. And I was like, well, that's not what was in the system. Then we have to let this girl woman go, right? Eight months pregnant, by the way. And what do you do when we let an eight month pregnant woman go? This is through a third party management, but it was a big deal HR wise, right? Like what's our ramification? Like this is black and white, have to. Of course, all the staff, we can't tell them why we let her go. And so like our whole staff quits. Ah. And it was just like, gosh, dang it. You kidding me? And you want to be able to tell them like, dude, but you can't. Those are just like the nightmares that you have of something so stupid. And you're like, why would you ever do this? Right? Especially you're going to have a baby. You're getting ready to go take off, have time off. We're going to give you that time off. And $375 or $575 is going to change your life now. Like go find a job and good Did luck. Did you press charges? I mean, that is, you could. We didn't. I could have, but I didn't. Right. That's a tough decision. It was a tough one, man, because I wanted to. I was so mad. I was so angry, right? Because I like this person, but that's part of what it is, right? That's probably federal charges, too. I would wager. I don't know, but yeah, it's a big deal. Check fraud. Yeah. I was just like, what are we doing here? But again, the business is pretty good when you look at it as a whole. And so, Taylor, give me your perspective on why do you love apartments in the multifamily space? And I'll say that and self-storage, too, because I know you guys are heavily in that as well. Are you ready to take your multifamily game to the next level and learn the amazing results of living the cash flow life? Apartment investing can change your life. I know for a fact it's changed mine, and I would like to share my extraordinary journey with you and the clues I've learned along the way by giving you my book, Copy Your Way to Success, for free. So text the word book, B-O-O-K, to 480-500-1127. Again, that's the word book, B-O-O-K to 480-500-1127. And my team will ship it to you absolutely free as a way to say thank you for listening to this podcast. And remember, your paradise is possible. Yeah, absolutely. So I do invest in both apartments and self-storage. So we can start with apartments. So you mentioned quite a bit earlier on in our conversation about how the nation, most markets are undersupplied. So I think Investing in something that's scarce can put yourself in a great position to earn a strong return. Of course, there's more to the story than just buying something that's scarce. We need to manage it well and everything. But fundamentally to me, again, I started in the real estate space because I was a Wall Street type of investor and got frustrated by the constant up and downs, the almost total lack of cash flow, even when you compare a typical dividend issuing stock to what we expect to make, what most real estate investors expect to make in terms of cash flow on their deals. I'm not giving a specific number, just say 
If you did what most stocks do in their dividend, you'd be pretty disappointed is my perspective on that. But when I was really heavily focused on Wall Street investing, I felt like I was blindfolded and taking steps forward. And I didn't know if the next step was going to be a step up or a step off a cliff. And that just really just fundamentally bothered me. And I started learning about what was out there in real estate investing. I met so many flippers. This is many years ago now, many flippers who some of them were doing quite well, but many of them were kind of struggling to scale and they were getting frustrated. It was just turning into another job. The tax rates are very high for flipping as well. Single family investors, again, some had done pretty well in that, but for them, it was it tended to be a job. And I just saw over and over again how the scale, larger properties, apartments had a just better ability, a better potential, if you will, to generate both wealth and cash flow without the hassle of single families or these other smaller deals that are out there. And as you know, now owning your property management company, but if you even hire a third-party property management company, even if it's not perfect, you get a lot more out of them when you have 200 units instead of two units, right? You get a lot more attention, you get full-time staff. Yeah, you have to asset manage them and make sure they're doing their roles and all of that that's involved. But it's just not the same as one or two doors. It's entirely different, right? It's like fundamentally like night and day. Right. And I think we could go on and on, but our ability to, in the commercial space, since apartments are commercial real estate, to add value and force appreciation by improving operations and raising rents and all those other things. Technically, you can cut expenses. I think looking at cutting expenses too much is kind of looking in the wrong direction. Things cost what they cost. You can get some of that, but focus on improving operations and raising incomes first. The bigger chance on the growth side, not on trimming it out. Yes. Right. And there are some opportunities there. Somebody's paying too much for snow plowing or whatever. You get that kind of one-off hit, but more potential on the upside raising incomes. But those are many of the things that I like about apartments is I just see that long-term, I think they have the best potential to generate wealth and cash flow. real estate being immensely tax advantaged compared to any other investment you can yeah. really look at. I love the tangibility of it. Generally, when you talk about tangible investments, You might get some gold bugs and silver bugs that show up and they can have their thing. But to me, the tangibility of real estate plus the income stream is what really makes real estate valuable. And apartments give us that scale to continue to grow and generate wealth. Whereas if we're talking about, say, precious metals, we're kind of a bit speculating about the future value. We have no ability to control, you know, and that's fine. But I just think better potential and real estate and apartments. Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it, Taylor. It is the control piece, right? It really is about understanding the levers and that you can manipulate. Like what I love about the apartment side or just even the commercial side is it's all based on numbers and the numbers don't lie and the numbers are the numbers, right? So you can, and then the question is, how can you affect the numbers? Can you put in capital improvements? Can you improve the property? So then you generate more income, which affects the numbers. It's really about affecting the NOI and the, your ability to do that over as an operator that I think is fun game to play. And it seems to make sense where, like you said earlier, when you're in the stock market and you're making plays and moves, you don't know if the next move is the one off the cliff, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then when you looked about like the blue chips or when you invest and you get the way Wall Street thinks about what a dividend is, you're like, dude, I couldn't pay off my car payment with that dividend. I'd have to buy so much of it, right? Mm-hmm. Where traditionally real estate and apartments or storage can pay off such a higher value return over a period of time that's way more cash flow, right? It just spits off bigger checks as the, I think with the potential to spit off bigger checks which makes it way more pliable. And that works into the investment strategy of so many people out there. That, And I think more people would do it if they understood it better. I agree. And we've seen, there have been many changes in the real estate space generally with Jobs Act in, what was it, 2012 that really opened up the syndication space and you know has enabled a lot of the growth that we've seen. And podcasts like we're talking on today, helping share knowledge. I mean, heck, started learning about real estate through podcasts and then grew from there, but really the information revolution. Now to go back to, you said about real estate all being numbers, 100% true, but this is where we don't want to get too far away from the fact that you and many others, myself, we have experience to add wisdom to those numbers because anybody can look at a pro forma or underwrite a property and just say, yeah, we're going to renovate all 200 of these units in probably the first two or three months and raise all the rents and we're going to kill it. But that's a kind of a ridiculous example. It's way more of an art, right? It's an art form. You have to understand how the correct sequence to do it and how much to do it, right? How many people do you know, Taylor, put way too much money in all the wrong things and they're wondering why (laughs) they don't get the red bumps, right? Yeah, that's true. And I think that's where we saw that deal that blew up in Houston earlier this year. Now, I don't have any inside information on that. I just see what I read in the news and that's all I know. But the sponsorship team, to my understanding there, was not as experienced as many of the others out there and you know, maybe made the wrong move in terms of their financing, where their interest rate caps were. And if you read some news articles about the operations of that deal, there are some not great things that the tenants were kind of saying publicly about what was going on. So that's really where the art and the people aspect of owning real estate comes in, because at the end of the day... If we don't treat our tenants well, then it doesn't matter that the property up the street is getting $300 more a month. Our tenants are going to leave and move down and pay more down It doesn't mean that you're going to get it. (laughs) It doesn't mean that you're going to get it. So it really is an art and the ones that can bend it, right? I mean, I think that's the beauty of this business is for the people that understand how to create wealth and how to add value to properties, there's so much opportunity out there, right? There's always going to be a property that needs someone to understand what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and you can increase value by doing it correctly. Absolutely. That's the space that we live in. Yes. To give another example, one of the deals we did a while ago, we talked about not cutting expenses, but one of the examples, I kind of mentioned snow plowing, but the old owners lived overseas. I won't say exactly where, but somewhere that it doesn't snow, basically. And the property that we were buying or the properties that we were buying are in an area where it snows quite a lot. But the owners being overseas, not really knowing what it costs for snow plowing and everything, were hugely overpaying for snow plowing. So that was kind of an instant way to cut expenses and add value. Now, you don't want to cut expenses to the bone, but by being present, understanding the market and really digging in, you can look for those ways to add value. And it's just one example. So funny you talk about snow plowing because we had a property where we were like, what in the world happened? And we're like, every time there's like two inches of snow, are we plowing this thing or what's going on? <laughs> like, hold on. <laughs> just because there's a couple inches of snow doesn't mean we go into town 
let's understand what we're doing here. And but it's the little things like that you can catch like, oh, if someone doesn't know, they think that's just standard, right? And all of a sudden they look at it like, oh, gosh, well, and the snowplow company is never going to tell you we're not coming. No, of course right? not. So, <laughs> They'll take your money. <laughs> They'll take your money. So as we kind of move along and kind of close it up, what's your biggest takeaways? Things that you, when it comes to you guys have raised a lot of money, right? So what are the best things that you've done right in your guys' raising capital sector? Like, what do you guys think you are doing really well in that space to attract capital? It's a good question. So for me, where I've had the most success, and this is looking back at where we're getting the most wins, if you will, is putting ourselves out there, putting knowledge out there and sharing and just saying, essentially opening it up. Hey, if you want to talk with me, here's where to reach out and get in touch. Like For me, I just did an interview on my show about this, but at the end of the day, everything in our lives is sales. As I stand here, I got married about two and a half months ago. I had to sell my wife on marrying me. Now, if I told her that I closed her and got her to marry me, then she might not find that too appealing, but it's a fact. At the end of the day, we're always selling no matter what. So in my business and, and my real estate investing, we don't close, right? It's just putting it out there and the people that are interested come our way. And it's effective, it works. And it's also, I build my business to the best of my ability. How can I sleep at night, right? What can I do that we can make money, but also I can feel good about it and sleep at night. And if I had to constantly like really hammer people and say, hey, you know, invest in this deal, blah, 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 and try to close them out, I wouldn't like that at all. And could be a compliance headache. So putting the information out there, putting the knowledge out there, building connections and finding the people who resonate with what we do, what we have to say, and the types of deals that we offer is really an effective way to raise capital. It's frankly, it can be difficult to scale though, because individually we are all finite goods. Like I can only be in one place at a time. So the goal is to look at ways to optimize and maximize that reach to find the people who are most receptive to the message, the business, and what we do. Amen to that. I think that's a big piece of it too. That's something that we're working on this year as well, is making sure that I'm not the head of everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> then you have a job, right? And the goal is, but you are right though. The job is we are in marketing, right? Mm -hmm. And the more you get out your message, you got to share the story because you don't know who it's going to hit on. And they're like, dude, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that's a big piece of it, right? Get it out there. And part of the reason I have a podcast is I have a platform, mm -hmm. right? And to get out to as many people and touch as many people and to create value, right? Creating value is really what it's all about, right? And as we jump in, any books that you've been reading lately that you feel like, I uh, see you got a lot of books behind you, or at least on your screen share, mm -hmm. what books have you read lately that you really enjoyed? Yeah, these are physical copies behind me. I oh. can prove it to you. I'll pick that up. No, they're they're real. I might fall down, but no, there are real books behind me. Right now, I'm in the middle of a book that's been recommended to me probably by more people than any other, more guests on my podcast, so successful real estate investors. And that book is Who Not How. I'm listening to the audio book. I don't have a physical copy quite yet, but I'll probably get one at some point. But that is all based around if you have a problem in your business that you need to solve, rather than asking how to solve it, you need to ask who can help me solve this problem. And the book is peppered through with examples of people, whether it's business owners, investors, sports figures, or whoever who solved the problem that they needed to solve by 
asking a better question, which is instead of how, they asked who. And for me, that has, in hindsight, looking back at strides that I've made in my business, that's been pretty much every stride that I've made in my business turned out that somewhat unknowingly at the time, asked the question who, got a who, put them in place, whatever it is, got them all set up, got them integrated into the business, and then was able to go further for that. So now that going through this book, seeing it's been so much more effective for many others, I'm more deliberately, and I have uh, several whiteboards over here, but I'm more deliberately asking who can help me solve XYZ problem. And I wrote down a problem that I have, who can help me blank? I'm just intentionally doing that more and more. And I can really, uh, again, in hindsight, that was effective for me, but now I think I'm focusing on that more. I just see so much potential. Yes, right. And it's this potential that's working without you, right? Like that doesn't require your input as much. And I think that's what we're all striving as entrepreneurs and business owners. When you have a real business is when the business runs without you. And so building those people, the who is really saying, how do I build my tribe in a way that creates it where I'm I'm putting out, I do the things that I want to do that I'm really, that's my best time served and not trying to figure out how to do something just because I can. And that's a big step. It's a huge step. And so when you make those changes in your life, and I see it's changing yours and mine as well, right? I feel like that's a great book, by the way. And I think I need to re-listen to it as well. Because <laughs> sometimes you listen to it the first run, you're like, oh, that's good. When you listen to it the second time, it really, a book I've been reading, right? Attraction. I've read it like three times. I almost read that book every year just because it gets me back on track of like making sure I have the right people in the right seats, doing the right work. And just ask myself, is my business running efficiently, right? And that's something we've been, we ask ourselves a lot is, are we efficient? Are we an effective team, right? Or are we in the wrong seat somewhere? And the more that I get that out and put it out there, it seems to be that we're a smoother company. So Taylor, if you could give any advice to some of the new people that are listening right now, what would you tell them? Commit. Committing to achieving your goal and to taking the actions that are required it's almost certainly going to take you longer than it would like you to. You're going to have stumbling blocks. You're going to have points where you don't know what to do, or you're afraid of taking a particular action, or something's not happening in the way that you want it to. And the key is to just continually push through those things. And just another example from Who Not How just popped into my mind as you were speaking is... One of the lessons that I just recently came to on the book was about procrastination. Now, I'm not a big procrastinator, but I am also definitely not a perfect person. I've been known to do that or put tasks off that I don't know how to do. But procrastination, the lesson is that procrastination is a sign that we need to find a who to help us with the thing that we're procrastinating on. So if you want to get into the business and you're procrastinating on making broker calls. Maybe it's a sign you need a who to handle that for you or reshape your business in such a way. But yeah, just keep pushing forward and you'll be surprised what you can achieve. Amen to that. And if people are looking to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. So learn more about your company. Yeah. My website, just go to investwithtaylor.com if you want to talk about potentially investing, the show, my show, The Passive Wealth Strategy Show, or you can email me, taylor at ntecapitalgroup.com. Awesome. Awesome. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Because I want to thank you for taking the time to come onto this podcast and sharing some of your wisdom, your knowledge. Guys, I'll tell you, like your power of your mind is everything. You really 
do not understand, commit, that whole word commit. My life was sucked until I made a commitment to do real (laughs) estate, right? I was not living the life. It took an actual commitment. And those things right there, that word is so powerful. And if you'll just listen to Taylor, what he said, again, it really inspire you to take action and be fearless, right? When you do that, success will come find you guys. Listen, if you believe it, you can achieve it and your paradise is possible. Mm-hmm.